What's interesting about these psalms, communal lament. It means for all of us to, to have... I say this. When you read these, it sounds like it's one person expressing the personal things that that individual is going through. The way that they would use these psalms is that it was the idea that it's one story, it's one it's expression of this one person's suffering, but we would read it as if it's our suffering. And so as we would read this together, if we were Jews, we would all have this, 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 this session of worship, and in our worship we would begin to read this psalm out. And the, the action was we would step into it. We would share the grief of the Psalter. It's beautiful. Because the idea here is this. The idea is that grief and pain and anger is inside of all of us, right? But some of us don't know how to bring it out. It's, it's so deep that we don't know how to pull it to the top. And so what the Psalms do, the Psalms are like a tool. The Psalms, they give us words for our pain. As we, as we read someone else's suffering and someone else's story, it kind of gives us a path, a channel to kind of begin to find our way to our own hurt and our own pain. And so the reason that we need the Psalms is because not everyone here knows how to get in touch with what's going on inside. There is a, there's something about getting older, being an adult. We learn how to just... I don't know, just to take what's most real inside of us and to push it, to hide it, to kind of stuff it away. And sometimes we need help pulling it out. Now, there's a photographer. His name is Platon. Have you guys heard of him? Platon? Huge fans? Nobody. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and put this image up he's got. All right, now, Platon has this fame. He is known as being the person who's able to capture someone's soul in their eyes. Impressive? Herwin's like, okay, it looks like a picture. Okay, awesome. Here's the idea. He has a process in a way about him where he believes that people live with walls up. Now, the people who he, uh, he takes pictures of are powerful men and, uh, and women. They are they're people whose entire lives depend on, on safety, on keeping people back and out and away. Okay, so uh, he's done uh, Putin and he's done... Uh, this is Bloomberg, I believe. I'm not exactly for sure. If I had to guess, um, there's, uh, he's done Clinton and Obama. He's done uh, Trump, I believe. He's done all sorts of different people. And the idea is this. He's taking pictures of the most defensive people on the planet, the people whose very jobs depend on safety and keeping what they're really feeling on the inside. Now, some of our leaders like to share some of their feelings, correct, on Twitter. Have you guys seen that? Yeah? Okay, there you go. But they aren't sharing all of their feelings, correct? And so what happens in this is even if cursing is part of where we are, it's not all of who we are. Even if anger is part of who we are, it's not all of who we are. And so with his leaders, his goal is to get the walls down. Like, what can I do to get this person to trust me, to be relaxed? And so he has a process he goes through. His entire goal is to get the walls to fall down. And so uh, it was Colin Powell. Um, he, had, he was coming in to have his photo taken. And so he had studied Colin. He had studied his background, his history. Uh, he wanted to find out what kind of makes this guy tick. And so the moment that Colin Powell, he walks in the door, he hands him this book. And it's a book with pictures of, like, wounded soldiers. And so as Colin Powell is going through this, if you don't know, famous general, and he's going through these pages, and he's, he's seeing these pictures of these wounded soldiers. And as they're walking to the shoot, and, you know, they've got the lights and everything, and they have him sit down on the stool. And so he wants him to look through the pictures. 
And so he starts to talk to him about his experiences and about the experiences where, where Colin has been with, with uh, soldiers who are wounded and how like there are times where uh, Colin had to go to the families. He, he had to go to uh, the mother or the children of a soldier who had died. He had to share the news. And so he's trying to, to lead Colin Powell through these things that are going to make him vulnerable. These things are going to bring what's in out. And so in this process, he gets the camera, and he's talking to him. And the whole time he's talking, he's just trying to continue to lure him out. You know, the idea is to create an environment where uh, the person feels safe uh, to kind of show themselves. And so as he's doing it, he's snapping pictures. And okay, and, and so he went through this, and he's taking pictures. And then he has this one moment, he says, where it all happens, because he, he gets them vulnerable, vulnerable. And then he takes a picture and goes, that's the one! And he kind of yells at him and slaps his hands, right? And the idea is it, it, it throws the person off, and they go, what, you know, what, what happened? But he snaps the picture right at the moment when the noise first hits. And so it's an honest reaction. And so you're, you're leading someone through these, these spaces of, of being vulnerable, and then you're, you're throwing something different, something out. And it makes you react honestly. And so he captures these pictures. And in these pictures, it's as if you can read the, the life story of these individuals in their eyes. Now, what's so powerful about this is that, you know, as a pastor, I've experienced and learned that we live our lives hidden. Most of you in this room have learned how to put a certain parts of yourself out there and how to keep other parts of yourself back here. It's actually a way that humans begin to understand um, uh, relationships. We understand relationships and levels of transparency, meaning I'm going to share certain things with my coworker. I'm going to share a certain part of myself with a friend. I'm going to share a different part of myself with a spouse. I'm going to share a different part of myself with children, so on and so forth. They're actually, I'm not sure if you actually have one relationship where you share all of yourself. There are a few relationships a uh, few spaces where we actually bring everything that we are and we kind of put the walls all the way down. And this is what the Psalms kind of hit at for us. The Psalms invite us into a place of honesty, a place of rawness where the walls are, are down. Now, the reason that, that this whole thing is important is because, you know, it's difficult to live when you have things that are suppressed. You have things that are turned off, things that are hidden. We have this, this concept in the Psalms that God shows up in the worst moments. He shows up in the darkest moments. He shows up in the most kind of like the, the volcanic moments of life. And so the Psalms are always like encouraging us to expose ourselves, to put the walls down. So with kids, it's very easy with children to see this thing we're talking about. It's a vulnerability. It's the ability to be all yourself, all present in that moment and to allow everything to affect you fully. How about this? Have you guys ever heard um, or had a friend who was going to go see a loved one in the hospital? They've got the news, they're driving on the way, you're in the car with them, or you show up to meet them there. And so the entire time, both of you know, you're about to walk into a very painful situation. So what you do as you're driving there, what pastors do as we're driving there, is we begin to prepare ourselves. We're about to see things and to feel things and to experience things that we're going to want to, to crack, to break down, to cry maybe. But I'm a pastor and I have to be strong. I have to be present. So I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to begin putting layers over my emotions and over my thoughts. 
So when I walk in, I'm going to try to be as near to the person who's hurting, but as far away from the pain. Because the problem is, if I get too close to the pain, I won't be of any good to the person who I'm supposed to be ministering to. Now, I don't really even believe in that, but that's besides the point. But this is, is the way we do things. We, we prepare ourselves to, to distance. I'm about to go into work, and I have to, you know, get into it with an employee. I need to brace myself, prepare myself. Me and my spouse are about to have a fight, or I have to go in there and spank my child. There are not many parents in the room who actually love to spank their, ch- their, their kids. If you do, might need to talk just a little bit, okay? Like, you don't really want to do that. It's not something you enjoy doing, so you have to put a layer on. Because you can't go in there being all yourself and being exposed because the moment that your child begins to cry, you don't want to spank them anymore. I'm done. Unless, unless there's something else you're tapping into. What's interesting is when we don't learn to process, to deal with our emotions, when we keep everything hidden and bare and and just down there, it's almost like an explosive chamber that's been buried deep. And whoever is unfortunate enough to dig that up and to tap into it is going to get the full explosion. Now, I have dealt with some parents who were abusive. And what I tend to find, it's not that they hate their kids or they want to hurt their kids. It's that unfortunately their kids' behavior is that shovel that gets down and exposes the emotions that have been hidden. And because that person doesn't know how to tap into their emotions and to deal with it in a safe way, unfortunately, their kids or their spouse or their friends is the one who touches it, you know, it's to pay for it. And so for us, we have to learn to, to deal with these emotions because we also need to, to live vulnerably. It's like an adult kind of a metaphor here, so just kind of stay with me as this, okay? Why do you wear clothes? Come on, think about it. Why do you wear clothes? Okay, if we were to walk outside right now, and you were naked, just picture you, not anyone else. You walked outside and you were naked. What would happen to you? I mean, imagine there's no one else around. I mean, we have a police officer out there, so you'd probably get arrested. But aside from that, okay, if there's no police officer, if you walked out there by yourself outside, what would happen? You would feel. Do you get it? You'd feel it. You would feel the slightest breeze. You would feel the temperature. You would feel um, humidity. You would feel the mist of the rain. You would feel everything. You would be overwhelmed with sensation. If you were to go to a beautiful place right now where it's snowing, which is not Arkansas, unfortunately, and if you were to go out there naked, what would happen? Overwhelmed with experience, correct? It could be Bad, it depends on your sensations, correct, and the the way you understand that. But you're going to feel, you're going to be exposed, okay, vulnerable. The reason that you wear clothes is not just to hide yourself. You wear clothes to protect yourself from feeling because we have to control our environments. For example, if I am working in an office and I get too cold, am I going to be able to get my work done? No, because I will get so caught up in my experience and my feeling that I will not be able to do anything else. You wear layers of emotional clothes so that you can get life done. What you don't realize is that everything in this world is full of experience. And if you don't clothe yourselves with layers of numbness, you can't function 
the way the world tells you to function. You can't get things done the way that you need to get things done. Now, what's interesting about the Scriptures is we get this peek into what true life looks like, into what the human being was created to do. And without going in depth, we get an idea that to live in the freedom of Christ is to live as a child, to be childlike again, to be vulnerable, to live every moment fully experiencing, feeling, and reacting. When you have a three-year-old who, who all of a sudden, you know, experiences pain, what do they do? Come on. They scream or they cry, right? Okay. If you have a 30-year-old who did the same thing, typically, what are they going to do? <laughs> Fine. Right? Now, okay, I've seen some of the worst kind of falls and crashes in like a parking lot like place. It's like it's raining, that person's running, and they just slip and just bite it, right? It's amazing how much like they will save face for that one minute, five minutes until they get to the bathroom. And they're you know, they break down, right? And then, uh, you know, the ensuing cursing begins to come, right? Okay. We layer ourselves. We layer ourselves. But the call to follow Christ is to live life fully. But to live life fully means to live life vulnerably. My four-year-old yesterday gave him a donut. He goes, best day ever! Just starts eating it. And I thought to myself, at first I go, oh, well, that's silly. But then I thought to myself, gosh, I wish that I let myself. I mean, if we're being honest, who actually reacts that way to donuts anyway? I mean, like if you were alone and you just, I mean, it's, it, it's, it is magical, right? It's spiritual, you know, encounter, right? It takes you to, <laughs> higher. Anyways, well, we'll get beyond that. I, I was working out yesterday at the gym and it was way late. Uh, it was midnight, actually about the deadlift. And so I had like my, my, uh, my uh, headphones in, had some music going. I won't tell you what I was listening to. And I have to be careful because see, like when the headphones go in and I have something to do that is serious, I, you know, I have to get locked in. And so I'm getting locked in and I had the music going and I almost started to dance, like almost. And then I just caught myself and I turned around like, you know, you know, because it was late. And so, you know, at the time there was no one in the gym, but you never know when someone comes in right? There are ways of living that are really living, to be vulnerable, to be childlike, to be exposed to, to experiencing things fully. This is actually the way that we all want to live, but we just can't. And the biggest reason that we can't is not just the fear of you know, the people around us, is that there's so much inside of us that we haven't dealt with yet. We hadn't we haven't worked it out yet. There's so much going on inside of us. And the only way that we've learned to deal with all of the frustration or pain or angst inside of us is just to turn it off. And so the Psalms lead us into something, and the Psalms tell us this, that for us to, to, to really live, to really express, to really be alive, it takes us having to deal with what's inside of us. And so the first step we learned in this series was to be honest, to be raw. And in being honest and raw, it's a little bit ugly because the first thing that tends to come out when you're honest and raw is cursing. Now, if you didn't, if you didn't watch that series, uh, I mean, that sermon last week, I encourage you to. I don't time to break it down, but I'll just say this. The first reaction to honesty with God and with others is to vomit, to let it all out. All of the junk and the anger and the frustration that's been building up inside, it just comes out. Have you ever had that moment where like some 
like just poor person happen to trigger you? Okay, just like someone, yes, no, you guys are all just extremely calm, self-control people. Okay, well, just someone triggers you, and you catch yourself five seconds in going, what is happening? As I, bah, you know, on that person, correct? Right? You're just, you know, you're cursing, you're yelling, you're angry, and you're going, this person didn't even do this. What is wrong with me? Where is this coming from? This is the first stage of feeling, of being alive, of allowing what's in you that's human to come out. And the Psalms tell us this. Honesty leads us to this next step. And this next step is the ugliest, the cursing. It's when all of the anger and the frustration and the way that life should be, we let it out. But that is not exactly healing. That is not really being all the way honest, not all the way real. Because, see, when you are being honest in the cursing and the anger, when you are vomiting your anger at someone, there's still a safety there. Because, see, you're still coming out, and you're being honest, but you're being honest with your fists up. You're being honest, but your, your walls are still up. There's something about when you let someone just have it. You tell somebody off. It feels good, right? Does it feel good? Come on, just be honest. It feels good to get it off you, right? But it doesn't heal anything. Because, see, what's missing in the cursing phase is vulnerability. It's one thing to let the anger out, but the next step is to let the tears out. Now, this is a very, it's a very difficult thing to understand. See, the reason that tears are important is because you don't understand. You don't even have a grip yet of what's going on inside of you. We chose this psalm uh, this morning because of the imagery of the water and the mud. He says, God, save me from the mud. Now, now, if I came up here and I was being like holy and I said, Father God, please save us from mud. How would you all react? Okay. If I came over and I said, Father God, please save us from the torrent of water. And you all looked at me like, I mean, it's raining outside, Pastor, but I don't, you know, it's not that bad, correct? What's happening here, he's... The Psalter is using, he's, he's putting into words what is real on the inside, what he's experiencing. And it doesn't have to be real to anyone else. It's real to me, and that's what matters. And so what happens in, in, in our tears, in crying, is that it is where we allow ourselves to face what's really going on inside of us. See, there are things that you feel, there are things that are real to you that you can't even put words to yet. Um... How do I say this? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with grief where you're crying so hard that you can't even think? Like, like your brain's not going, well, I'm crying because of this, and I'm mad because of that. Have you guys ever cried where it was like, I just don't even know where this is coming from, but it's coming? And of course, all the guys are like, no, I've never done that. Ever. <laughs> you know. See, most men tend to process their emotions and the cursing more, right? The anger, because see, there's still safety in the anger. I can still touch to my, my emotions, but keep my, my walls up, keep my safety, right? But tears are vulnerabilities, because see, the moment I, I give myself, the difference between cursing and crying is in crying, I give myself to my emotions, meaning I'm going to let this wash over me. <laughs> so as a Psalter is saying, 
I, I'm drowning. This, the water's coming to my neck. I, the earth is swallowing me. I can't breathe. Save me from the mud. Pull me from the water. What he's saying is I'm trying to stay out of it. But part of what crying, part of what tears do, is it's when we give ourselves to it. We say, no, I'm not going to hide or run from this anymore. I'm going to let it wash over me. I'm going to lose myself in these emotions just for a bit. Because see, when I'm cursing, when I'm angry, I'm still holding on to the reins. I still have a little bit of control. But when I'm crying, I lose control. When I allow it to go from anger to sorrow, I am losing control. See now, what's interesting about psychology, it tells us that anger is a secondary emotion. Meaning, we don't ever first experience anger, we experience something else. And then if we're not willing to feel it for what it is, we'll channel it to anger. Meaning there can be emotions that are so deep and so raw that we don't want to face them. But the only way I'll let myself see that is in anger. And so that's why most men tend to to be more okay expressing things in anger. The problem is when you express your pain in anger only, you still haven't found the root of it. You still haven't gone to the depths of what you're hurting of what's inside of you. And see, there's something about tears, about that vulnerability, about just kind of putting our walls and letting this thing wash over us that's scary and overwhelming. But here, in tears, in crying, in this space where we are overwhelmed with what is really inside, we let what's down there out. It's in this space where we finally begin to understand what it is that we hurt anyway, where this pain actually comes from. It's in the hard work of crying that you begin to get a handle on your pain. You begin to figure it out. It's almost like swimming through it. It's, you don't exactly have words yet, but you just begin to move through it. You begin to just to allow yourself to dive into the depths. And in the experiencing, as the tears come out, you begin to put words to things. So the reason that tears are so important is because tears lead to something else. Tears lead us into words. I want to make sure you didn't miss that ocean imagery. I love that imagery of the ocean. Now, what happens with this, as we begin to to give ourselves over to our emotions, to what's going on inside of us, what comes after this is the ability to begin processing, to work through it. Have you ever had someone who was so upset and like, and like they couldn't tell you why. And so they're just, it starts with anger. It starts with anger and then they begin to calm down and then there's just these tears and then all of a sudden there's like this parting of the emotion and they begin to talk about it. Have you guys ever experienced this with anyone? With, um, with a child maybe? Have you guys ever experienced this with a child? They're just angry, angry, angry and then they cry about it and then what happens next? Come on. They start talking about it, right? But they can't talk about it first until you let them be angry about it, and then you let them cry about it. I have a six-year-old. He's one of the most like, um, emotionally intelligent humans I know. He understands himself. He gets how people work. And, and, and so when he's angry, and I'm like, I'm like, Jude, stop crying. He goes, Dad, you have to let me cry first. I, have to, I don't know yet how to explain to you why I'm angry. You have to let me have a few minutes here. I'm like, all right, you're right. Sometimes he gets so mad and angry, and I'm just like, stop being angry. That's stupid. Don't call my emotions stupid, Dad. 
It's no different for you. You have to allow it to erupt in anger and it pours over into tears. And in this space, somehow, is where we begin to make sense of our pain. And from tears, it pours over into words. Now, in my childhood, I was around the Word of Faith movement an awful lot. And one of the things that the Word of Faith movement has really found that the the rest of the church needs to learn is the power of putting things into words. Now, I understand this a little bit differently than they do, but there is a reality that takes place when you begin to use words. Linguists tell us that it's it's impossible for a human being to fully experience anything without language, without the ability to put it into some other form. See, words are where what's in here What's real in here, when I put words into it, becomes real out here. How about this? Have you ever been so sorry for something? Like, he, you know, you wounded someone so bad, and yet you felt sorry the entire time, but you didn't feel relief until they let you apologize. Have you guys ever experienced that, the weight lifting? Everyone's like, no, I don't apologize. Goodness. Have you ever experienced the opposite? where someone's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and you're just like, no, I will not forgive you, right? Have you guys experienced that? And it's, and it's the idea where I'm, you know, no, mm-mm. but the moment you give words to it, you begin to say, I forgive you. There's a, what was real in here, it's almost like you're birthing something. It becomes real out there. See, words are how we share experience. Words are how we take what what is happening in here and I allow others to experience what's happening inside of me. And so what's interesting about words is there are things inside of you that you are not ready to face yet. But see, you have to give yourself over to tears, to crying, to get to the place where you're ready to face that these things are real. And there's something about when you begin to speak them. I... uh, I journal sometimes because I've found I'm very good at watching my words. <laughs> Probably because I speak for a living. But, you know, and, and so in there, I'm always very careful with the words I choose. But I found if I start writing, all of a sudden I will write something and go, and it's almost like things slip out of me. Things that I would normally be very careful not to put in words here, when I'm writing, I just kind of get in, you know, sloppy almost. And emotions and thoughts will begin to come out that I would never let out out of my mouth. And what I tend to have to do is I have to go over it and I have to begin to talk these things out. Whenever I'm going through issues, because I'm like an auditory processor, I need to go for walks with myself and talk it out. Now, if you ever see me in the woods just talking, just ignore me. Just don't come around. I, you know, I'm just working things out, you know. That's what I'm doing. And so, again, it can be here for years. But the moment I begin to give words to it, it's almost like it begins to take shape. I begin to, to work with it, to mold it. I begin to understand it. Because the moment I begin to give my pain, my emotions, words, I begin to speak them out, there's something that happens there where I begin to, to have the ability to let go of this. This is why words are so important for us. There can be pain and hurt inside of you for years and years and years, but until you learn to give words to it, the reason that psychologists have you know, get paid so much money, is they coax you into putting things in the words. You know what? You wouldn't have to pay anyone for counseling if you just learned to talk to each other. Okay. I guess that's not going to (laughs) work. 
If you would learn to talk to yourself, which, you know, I would do that in private. If you learn to talk to God, which we call that prayer. If you learn to talk to your spouse and to people in your life, you wouldn't need a counselor. You wouldn't even need a pastor, really. Whatever. But apparently, I don't have anything to worry about, right? <laughs> Learning to put words to things. Because what happens is the moment I begin to put words to things, it becomes real. And the moment it becomes real, I cannot avoid it anymore. That's the danger. When you let something slip out of your mouth and you hear it, now you can't ignore it. Now I have to face it. The reason we cry is so, so that we can give words to it. Once we give words to it, now we can face it. We can deal with it. We can process. We can work through it. When you begin to put words to it, you begin to, to build a bridge. You begin to allow other people to enter into where you are. Have you ever been so angry, so hurt before that you just, you're not willing to talk to anyone about it. Okay, that's great. You guys have not. I'm glad you guys have not felt pain ever in your lives, okay? Have you guys ever been hurt and the pastor calls and wants to talk about it and you say, no, I'm good? Yes, I know you have. Don't make me point at people. Because, because there are pains that are so deep, we're not ready yet to bring anyone into it. We just want to sit there and kind of bathe in it, honestly. In counseling and pastoring, I can always tell when someone is ready to move on, to be healed, to grow, to mend their marriage, to fix their life, because they're ready to talk about it. They're ready to put words to it. And the moment that you're ready to begin to put words to it, what you're doing is this. You are building a bridge for other people to step, step into your situation, to feel what you feel, to experience what you experience. It's an odd sensation that all of us want to be known, but at the same time, all of us want to keep something hidden from each other. And we don't have time to open up that too much, but there's this, this, this thing inside of us where we want everyone to know us, but we want, also want to keep everyone just, just far enough away. And the moment you begin to put words to it, the reason the Psalms put words to it is because when the Jews began to sing these and to speak these out to God, what they're doing is building a bridge to invite God in to their hurt and their pain. See, when someone has wounded you deeply, when, and it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if that person did anything. It matters how you feel about it. And when you feel that someone has wronged you in the worst way, you're not willing to extend words to them because you are not willing to let them in yet. And see, most often it is God who is, who is the one we target. It's the one who's, he begins to be the one who we say, you wounded us. It doesn't matter if he did it or not. It matters how we feel about it. But when I begin to put words to it and express this to God, I am allowing, inviting him in to my pain. And the reason that this is so crucial for us is because the moment that I invite God into my pain, it means I'm ready to leave my pain. I'm ready to find the end of this. See, grieving is it, it's a fickle thing. Because in the same way that we hate grieving, we hate the pain that's in it, grieving is also a way of holding on to something. So we can stay in a place of anger, a place of pain, a place of, of sorrow, a place of offense, and the reason we stay there isn't just because we're hurt, it's because it's a way we can hold on to that thing, to that person, to that situation, to that pain. We hold on to it. And there's a danger because, see, the moment we invite God in, the moment we begin to cry these things out, to process them, to speak them out, that is all movement away. It's movement to bury this thing. 
And the problem with burying things is sometimes we don't know who we are without our pain. I'm not sure if you've ever been through a life experience like this, but if you have been through it, you know what I'm talking about. There is a place where you have carried your pain so long, you don't know who you are without it. There's a place where you have shut down your emotions so many years, you have learned to hide and bury all of the deepest parts of yourself for so long, you don't know what's going to happen if you open those things up. There are some of you where you have made a life for yourself, a career for yourself, and if you let all those emotions out, who am I going to be? Am I going to be able to just go on with life? And the answer is probably not. Because the moment you begin to strip down those layers, you're forced to feel. You're forced to experience. You're forced to actually live life. The moment you strip your layers down, you can't just go through life without being affected by other people. The moment you strip these layers down, you are vulnerable again. Meaning people can hurt you again. You can feel things. You can feel disappointment and anger and sorrow, betrayal. You can feel those things again, but you can also feel something else. When you strip those layers down all the way, now you're actually ready to feel hope again. Joy, dreams, fun, excitement, peace. You can actually feel those things again. But you will never be fully alive until you take the risk of living life vulnerable, exposed. 